0: One detail I wanted to share with you is my mother uh, is your age. She was born in January 28. You were born in September 27. And she was on a transport from Munkach in May of 44 to Auschwitz. Yes. Yes. And as I was reading it, I looked up earlier so there were about eight transports that went from casa and Munkach to auschwitz but they look like they were all in the second half of may yes it was a big big
1: transport Elie wiesel i was told also was on that transport you may want to do some research on that because when i was with him many many years ago we were wondering whether we
0: were both on the same transport. Yeah, my mother didn't know exactly what day what day she left. Because
1: Munkach is possible that Ali Vizal was there because Munkach was filled
0: with very Orthodox Jews. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And then my mother... My mother was in Bunker C in Birkenau. In Bunker C? Yeah. I wish I could remember.
1: It sounds, it sounds familiar.
0: Yeah. C. It sounds familiar to me. She was transported to Gross Rosen from Auschwitz to Rathenbach.
1: I was liberated. I, I was liberated in Gunskirchen, Austria, May right. Fourth, by the Americans. Yeah, Poland liberated by the Russians.
0: Yes. Right. Exactly. But when I when I was listening to interviews that you did, my mother died uh, three years ago, and I kept hearing her voice. Even the honey sounded like her. <laughs> Yes, yes. So I loved listening to you.
1: And I tell you what's good about it, that we are coming from people, our ancestors. They didn't have it as good as we do now. Yeah. And they, they never gave up.
0: This is Just the Right Book, and I'm Roxanne Cody of R.J. Julia Booksellers. Each week, I hope to bring to you the stories behind the books, talking with some of the very best contemporary nonfiction authors, the conversations you want to hear about the books you need to read. This interview that you're about to hear is probably quite different uh, than maybe the other, I don't know how many I've done before, a couple hundred interviews. Uh, And for a couple of very particular reasons. Uh, The woman I'm about to interview, Dr. Edith Ava Eager, is the author of The Choice and uh, her new book, The Gift, 12 Lessons to Save Your Life. But the other thing that Dr. Eager is, is a woman who is the same age as my mother, was probably on the same transport as my mother from Hungary to Auschwitz. And it was an opportunity for the both of us to share an experience that I think I would have never thought I could have another chance to talk to my mother. And I don't think Dr. Eger quite expected to speak to someone who was the daughter of someone that she was in Auschwitz with. So I think you're in for a treat. And I think you're in for a very different kind of conversation. Dr. Edith Ava Eager, welcome to Just the Right Book. Was it that those who did survive have the the DNA that gave them the resilience to survive, or was it some other undefined organic thing that contributed, like luck, to their survival? I remember being
1: 16 in love, and I had a tremendous wear, determination, no matter what happens outside, they're never gonna touch me and my spirit. Mm. And you and you were that way then, before the war. I was uh with a very, very beautiful Bali master who told me that God made me in such a way that all my ecstasy has to come from inside out. Mm. I didn't understand that word. And in Auschwitz, it came to me that I cannot change the outside and I have to look within myself and look at life from inside out.
0: Mm. Auschwitz
1: was an opportunity for discovering your inner resources.
0: And among, among, as you call them, the girls that you knew in your bunker you saw differences right right away among them in auschwitz right away in terms of how they they thought yes they did we knew exactly who's going to die
1: because it was on their face giving up giving yeah. up and uh, and we saw it i remember that i was with a girl from yugoslavia and she said that we're going to be liberated by Christmas and, and we were not. And she died the following day. Today I talk about perfectionism, that everything has to happen a certain way. And that's really not helpful uh, to be a rigid person. Mm-hmm. It's better to be flexible. Better to be flexible. I, uh, I lecture a great deal about the difference between a survivor and a victim.
0: Yeah. It's one of the questions um, that I was going to ask you because my parents, both of whom were survivors, always described themselves as survivors, not victims. And oh, in reading your book, it it made me wonder, how does someone transform themselves from thinking of themselves as a victim to thinking of themselves as a survivor, or can they? I think it has a greater
1: to do with the way they choose the attitude, how to respond and not to react. Because when you react, you don't think. Mm you fight or flee, which didn't work in Auschwitz at all. Right. Because if you touch the guards, you were shot. If you touch the, the, uh, the board wire, you were electrocuted. You know, it, it was really uh, a sense of uh, curiosity that helped me survive. I, I always wanted to know what's gonna happen next. Mm. I never uh, even allowed myself to even think what they told me, that I will never get out of here alive, that the only way I will get out of here is a corpse. And today I teach my patients not to allow to take things personally and not to allow other people to enter and disturb your peace of
0: mind. Did you nonetheless... Did you nonetheless have a moment of despair when you were in Auschwitz? You know, I am
1: very grateful that I was working with Vietnam veterans and I decided to go back to Auschwitz because I realized that I came to America and I went to school and I picked up all kinds of things, you know, diplomating this and that. but I had a 16-year-old girl in me that I ran away from. So today what I do is guide. I like to call myself a guide. And by the way, I don't see myself as a survivor. I see myself as a human being, that I'm fallible, I I'm make mistakes. I happen to survive an experience, but it's not my being. It was, was done to me. Mm-hmm. It's not my
0: identity. And, and I think
1: and, your parents said the same.
0: Yes. I, I I I mean my parents rejoiced at so much. Our yes. house I would meet other children of Holocaust survivors whose houses were filled with secrets or darkness. My parents only wanted to celebrate, only wanted to be. Joyful. Look at yourself.
1: Mm-hmm. You're talking
0: to me now, and
1: you're celebrating uh, our meeting. Yeah, and and the meeting is about healing. Yeah, and grieving and grieving.
0: So, Doctor Eager, you came here. Uh, you met your husband in Europe, and you came here. And then as you say in the book for decades, you were still a prisoner of the past. What was the incident that caused you to think about that differently? Well, when I came to
1: America, I didn't have $6 to get off the boat. And I had a little girl who just turned two years old And I wanted to create an environment for her that she would think that the world is a safe place. So I went underground. I did not know, I didn't have the verbal capacity and I did not know how to say it in Hungarian, by that time, she spoke Hungarian, she spoke Slovak, and she spoke German, mm-hmm. and my two-year-old daughter. So she told me. So she, see what we do with children, we parentize them. Right. We grow up very fast because you introduce to your parents peanut butter that I've never seen or heard of, or tuna fish, and so, you go to the grocery store, and your child is really teaching you how to become an American.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And so that's why my question, my question is, when did your childhood end? Yeah. Because we grieve over not what happened, but what didn't happen.
0: And I I saw that question, I saw that question in the book, and I was very struck by, I had never heard that question put together. And what do you find among your patients is often the answer to that question? Well, you know, sometimes I call
1: myself a wandering Jew. You know, I kind of look up and say, I wondered about that. I, I don't I don't throw out <laughs> questions, I just keep wondering until I know where that person is, so I can keep that feeling company.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I don't cheer up a depressed person because if they tell me. And that's also in my book, In A Choice. And then a patient came and the the daughter was dying of hemophilia and and we were crying together. And the following hour, another woman came in dying almost and crying because her Cadillac came in and it wasn't the color, that exact (laughs) color that she chose. Wow. You see? So I, I I don't compare, but I can tell you one thing for sure. The more you suffer, the stronger you become. Mm. I am not a strong woman. I am a woman of strength. Mm. And I think Jewish people learn looking at life from inside out. And Auschwitz was a perfect place to develop your inner resources.
0: How many people do you think who survived something like Auschwitz could imagine thinking of it as a gift? Well, when I asked my sister who was with me in Auschwitz to
1: come back, she told me I'm an idiot.
0: Mm.
1: <laughs> I am a kiss. It's It's not what happens. It's what you do with it. And that's why I can only speak for me. I am not saying we. I just say I felt, I did, I, I can only feel uh, and let you know that Auschwitz to me made me a very compassionate listener. hmm I don't ask questions or give advice. I don't ask, how are you? I think that's the stupidest question because people say, fine, and they're Mm -hmm. not fine. What's the better question? No question at all. Questions can look like put someone on a witness stand. I say something like, gee, it's good to see you. How can I be useful to you?
0: Mm -hmm. I don't
1: say how can. Help you. I don't help you. I don't work on you. I work with you. Mm-hmm. So sometimes the dumbest thing around, I just keep wondering until they tell me all the information I want without asking any questions. <laughs>
0: and and probably because they know you're listening. I repeat what I hear. Yes. Yes. I'm like a parrot.
1: I hear you say, and then they say yes, so true
0: or false, yeah. 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 You know, how many people do you think actually end up feeling heard? Well, you know,
1: I was professor of psychology and one of my students told me that in America, people are hearing, but not listening. Mm-hmm. There was even a, uh, Brothers that were singing those days. And I said, Well, let's test it. So, tomorrow morning, you're going to pick up your books, yeah? So, when someone comes and says, Hi, how are you? You're going to say, My mother died this morning. Mm. Great. I'll see you this afternoon. Yeah. People are hearing you know, but not listening. I I guide I guide. I like that idea of a guide. Some people call me a spiritual midwife. And I <laughs> thought, well, that's not bad. It's okay. I'm happy that's, a the, that that's a good job. Isn't it good? It's a good job. It's not my job. It's my calling.
0: Yeah. I don't have a job. I have so, a calling. When did you decide, so when you came here, you became a teacher first, and then in your 40s, you decided to become a psychologist. What, that's not when you think about going to school. What was it that motivated you? Well, the principal didn't
1: like me uh, <laughs> because I was, I was teaching psychology And he told that I'm brainwashing my students. And one student was smoking pot and he got caught. (laughs) And he told the principal, it's funny that you bring back those memories. Um, The principal told that uh, I'm brainwashing the kids because my student said, I don't give a damn about your school. I just want to go back to Mrs. Eager's class. (laughs) <laughs> and, and so, oh my god uh, and i decided then that maybe maybe it's time for me to think about mm. getting a yeah and that was that was then and i'm glad that i was also in medical school and i wish i could have Go on and have an MD and a PhD, mm-hmm. so can work with medication, because sometimes, well, just talking therapy doesn't cut it. You have to look at your genes, and you look at your bipolar, and uh, medication that is very essential. Along with talking therapy, but not instead of.
0: Yeah, who would have thought that you'd have four to five decades of practicing as a spiritual midwife? You
1: know, I get up in the morning and I look in the mirror and I I think that it's a miracle that I'm still here. Yeah. And nothing, chronological age doesn't matter at all. Because yeah. you see, when I, when I was 40, my supervisor told me to go get a doctor. And I told him, it's impossible. By the time I get the doctorate, I'll be 50-ish. He mm-hmm. said, you'll be 50 anyway. And I <laughs> think that is a good thing. You'll be, go, go back to school. Uh, yeah. Or do do belly dancing. Do something ridiculous that you avoided before. So yeah. that's why my name is not a shrink. I am a stretch. Yeah, (laughs) that's a bit. You have a lot of good lines. My daughter calls it edism. EDism, too. One of them is the opposite of depression is expression. Yeah, because what comes out of your body doesn't make you ill. The second one is are you evolving
0: or are you revolving? Yeah, and and I want to go back i want to go back to to the to the uh to that first uh Evie is I, Evie ism. uh we used to call my mother's Ibbyisms. her name was ibby it's
1: <laughs> the first time i hear that i really appreciate it yeah see i'm not so you know thank god
0: uh-huh um so this this concept that you talk about as one of the 12 lessons to free yourself, to give yourself a life of joy, is this idea of using your expression, giving into your rage and your anger in order to come out the other side. Explain more about that for me. I think rage
1: is very essential. I had a tremendous problem with anger. I did not know how to really go through the rage um, because it's very essential for you to acknowledge the the unfairness of it all and mm-hmm. shake your feet. I think God allows us to do that as long as we go through the valley of the shadow of death and not to get stuck in there. Mm-hmm. Because when you're stuck, you're constipated. <laughs> and when you constipate it, you concentrate on a movement. That's another. That's idiom for Edie, you're yeah, cracking so, me up. Yeah, that's good. People, people compare me with Dr. Ruth and Joan Rivers.
0: Yeah.
1: Rivers tells you grow up. Yeah, I tell you the same thing. You want to be a baby or a big girl because there is no freedom without responsibility. It's anarchy.
0: Yeah, and you. But you also talk about there's no freedom without going through. Have going you through the rage? And and yeah, how do people do that? How do you do that?
1: Well, there are many ways that you can do that. You can actually um, put that person in a chair and do some gestalt and you beat them up and you scream bloody murder and uh, and recognize that you can get addicted to it too. Mm. Not to do it in excess. Some people like chronically angry, not realizing That underneath of anger are other emotions that you may have not faced. And that's where I come in as a guide to not talk about the pain, not to medicate the pain, not to do anything with the pain, but feeling the feeling. There is no healing without feeling. And you got to go through that pain, and then there is a lot of other emotions like frustration, like anxiety. People tell me I have an anxiety attack. Where is the anxiety? Who is attacking? What we know scientifically is the way you get up in the morning and the way you go to the bathroom and look in the mirror and talk to yourself changes your whole body chemistry. Mm. That
0: and is very important. And are people shocked at that? Actually, um,
1: I am called also an ophthalmologist because I I guide people from looking something or seeing something that you really see where you are in your life right now, because if you're in midlife, you're crazy. It's full of craziness, Mm -hmm. but it's not a crisis. It's a transition. You don't have a problem. You have a challenge. So I kind of rewrite your script and say, I can give birth to the me that was meant
0: to be free. How yeah. very biased freedom you, know. you know i want to i want to take a step uh, back uh for a second because the most astonishing vivid uh description i can imagine of having a choice was you describing in the beginning of your book it was may of 1945 and you were in a pile of dying and dead bodies, uh, the 71st Regiment had come to liberate the camp that you were in and you couldn't move a finger. And yet you were confronted with the, the most base, frightening choices. And even in that circumstance, you describe making a choice. Would you be kind enough to share with us that choice?
1: Well, as ill as I was, I noticed people go through the gate and then pretty soon they would sit down because we were free, but we didn't know what to do with the freedom. You need to study Eric Fromm. I was with him myself mm. because he about escape from freedom. Because, see, when you're a child, you sit in the back of the car and we mess around, and your parents are driving. But when you're an adult, you have to decide whether you want to be driven or you want to be a driver. Mm-hmm. So we were brainwashed, and uh, Seligman, Dr. Seligman, who is a kind of Talking a great deal about positive psychology that I love myself, and, uh, and talks about learned helplessness. We were so brainwashed that we didn't even know when freedom came. And that's what happens with better wives. Their husband uh, brainwashes them, and she believes it that she is nothing without him. He makes yeah. her totally dependent on him
0: because
1: he is man enough to know that he wants someone who is thinking for herself, who is capable. And that's why I like modern marriages, because the pioneer woman worked alongside of her husband. But the industrial society, when a woman became emotionally and financially dependent on a man, the wife beating began. I did a lot of study and I helped to build transitional living centers for better wives. My life doesn't start or end in Auschwitz. I uh, I think we can create our own concentration camp that is in our own mind. And the key is in your pocket.
0: Mm. And In the years of of treating as many patients as you have, share with us a story of one where you doubted they could come out the other side. I think it takes a lot of work. She's asking, could you re-ask the question? Sure, of course. So in, in all your years of treating patients, and you describe many um in in your new book uh, the gift was there a patient that you can recall where you were doubtful that they would be able to move through the process and and feel free well i I don't know what to do with the word doubt. You Mm -hmm. know, when doubt
1: sets in in your vocabulary, I don't know where to place it or what to do with that word doubt. I I don't go there. Mm -hmm. I just go, I will do what's humanly possible because people
0: don't come to me. They're sent to me. Oh. And sent to you? by a referring doctor, by... Yes, and look at the same thing
1: from a different perspective.
0: Mm -hmm. It's
1: the same situation. I cannot change that. And this is what I will tell you about women. If you don't mind, I also became a diplomat in sexology. Oh, good. Alice. And... And so
0: what is happening to women that? I think we froze for a second there. What is, okay, first of all,
1: when you're a little girl, you get different messages from little boys. The little boys are taught to become a doctor, the lawyer, the CPA, but the little girl we are taught to find somebody, mm. somebody who going like to take care of you. So you go from your father to another man, okay? That's, this is what's happening. That, uh, so they get married, and pretty soon the mother tells her, this is Nancy Friday, uh, the book is called The Mother and Daughter." who tells the daughter uh, on wedding day tonight, think of England as something that you... It's your duty. Mm. So she doesn't want to go to bed with him. She really doesn't want to go to bed with him, but then she does because she thinks she should. Mm. And then she resents the fact that she does something she doesn't like to do, so she fluctuates. From guilt to resentment. Hmm. That's not good for you. Why? Because an orgasm prevents
0: Alzheimer's. Hmm. So have as many as you can. <laughs> That's gotta be... The word,
1: the word is called permission. Give yourself permission for
0: pleasure. All right. So Dr. Eger, I want your third book to be, the title to be An Orgasm Prevents all Alzheimer's.
1: Huh?
0: That am, will be right. a
1: great book. That's science. <laughs> yes.
0: <laughs> if use it, use it,
1: yes. If you don't use it you, use it, you dry out like a prune. And so <laughs> that's why when you are Literally, I can speak English the way I think might be something you want to look up to. Same thing from a different perspective.
0: Yeah. Because
1: my husband is a klotz. He doesn't know a woman. He doesn't even know her, uh, her anatomy. I asked one man about the clitoris, and he started to talk to me about the belly button. So I, I, I took pictures to show him. So that night he would go home with a flashlight looking there. I mean, that's not very sexy, is it?
0: Yeah, you that's know, that, that reminds me of a story um, when uh, we used to go to the Catskills, my family. And I was like in third grade or fourth grade. And my mother thought she should teach me about getting a period. So she went to get a box of Kotex and um, we were trying to read the instructions. She didn't read English that well still. And I could read uh, English easily. And we're trying to figure out what the word vagina is. We never heard it. Cause in our house, it was called schmunzi, <laughs> And so we go to somebody's house <laughs> to get the English word. To try to understand when you said that he didn't even know what a clitoris was, yes,
1: <laughs> or, or a pussy, yeah, yeah, whatever. in Hungarian, if you say pussy, is you give a kiss, a kiss, the, a kiss, and one of my friends on the department store and did some clothing for nuns. And he went to a nun. Said, "Give me a pussy." And that,
0: <laughs> you know what
1: he was talking
0: about. You have to be careful. You know, you talked yeah. about you talked about when you came to this country and your your daughter who was two then. It was Marianne, right? And, um, yeah. and brilliant psychologist. And in New so- York City. Marianne, who just had twin grandsons, right? And you your great-grandsons? Exactly. What are their names? The name
1: is Noah and Dylan. I don't know one from the other,
0: totally identical. What does that feel like? It's going
1: to bring pictures.
0: What does that feel like to have great-grandchildren?
1: I have seven great-grandsons. I considered it my revenge to Hitler.
0: <laughs>
1: it's a, that's that's good revenge. Thing. Oh, I don't think revenge is is good at all. It's yeah. just very
0: temporary. Yeah, you're going to show me a picture. Oh my goodness! When were they born? In San Diego. When
1: April. When April.
0: Uh, April what? April's- April April seventh. I'm April third. The Aries are good. Aries are going to have a good time. Well, you don't want April twenty. That was my husband's birthday,
1: and so was Hitler's. Really. The Columbine massacre massacre was on April twentieth by Hitler worshippers young people from the white supremacy group. You don't want April 20th and yeah. you don't want children, unfortunately, join the white supremacy group.
0: Dr. Eager, is- before, you know, we've had a roundabout uh, kind of conversation, but I, I want to make sure that our listeners um, hear from you you know, the powerful lessons that you share, the subtitle of your book is um, 12 Lessons to Save Your Life. Share with us some of these steps people can take to be able to live free lives. Well,
1: one of them is uh, don't cover garlic with chocolate. You know, don't run away from the past. Don't try to fight it, to face it, to be able to revisit the places where you've been, to relive that experience. That's what I'm good for. So that's the second one would be, are you evolving or revolving?- mm-hmm. Now, I remember after the choice, people gave me all kinds of feedback that they want me to write a how-to book, a self-help book. Mm -hmm. And that's how, that's how the gift came about. Right. Okay. And uh, it's, it's very important when you read the book, someone just, just send me a beautiful, uh, a beautiful email who, uh, a wonderful woman, Susan Schutz, who did interview six white supremacy people who got out of the white supremacy group and tell how they were totally brainwashed and how they became very scared Mm -hmm. that their freedom was completely taken away. So I think you have to to really find the Hitler in you and find the part in you that you acknowledge that self-love is self-care it's not narcissistic,
0: mm-hmm. and See? and or do people worry about that? Because I, I read that in the book where you talk about, you know, the need for self care. How often do you find people resisting that because they think then that they're just selfish?
1: Well, you know, some people say, you know, I'm ninety three. I have the three children. I have five grandchildren. I have seven great-grandsons. I'm done. You're not going to hear it from me. Right. I'm, I'm going to say, what's next. Right. I'm curious. And that's what kept me alive in Auschwitz. Yeah. I never ever considered allowing... Allowing the Nazis to murder my spirit that I bring you today. Yeah. That I discovered in Auschwitz. Auschwitz was a place for discovery, not recovery.
0: And and tell tell us, um, Dr. Eager, your mother's words to you when yeah. you were in that despicable yeah. cattle car going from uh,
1: Hungary. We were told we're going to Hungary to work on the fields. And my mom held me and she said, I always talk to young people. I'm totally committed to the young because they are the ambassadors for the future. I owe it to them because they are truly the future. So my mom told me, we don't know where we're going. We don't know what's going to happen. Just remember, no one can take away from you what you put here in your own mind. And that's exactly what happened. Mm. Everything taken away from me. And I had my mind. And I had my sister. That's what I say all the time when I go to the classroom what my mother told me.
0: And Dr. Eager, one of the things that um, I read is, which because I, I go to schools also to speak to junior high and I have uh, my parents' testimony, but I read a statistic. I wonder if you could affirm it or disaffirm it for me that something like over, almost 60% of the kids in school today have never even heard of the Holocaust? I wouldn't be surprised because who wants
1: to think about something like that? But it's not comparable because never in the history of mankind 15 highly educated people celebrated at the end of the day they are able to find a systematic and scientific way to put 30,000 Jews in the oven in one day. Mm. Unfortunately, we have genocide as we speak. Right. I don't know about numbers, but all I know that I am a part of the final solution of Eichmann. When people blindly adhere to authority. I highly recommend people to read a Max Weber book, Capitalism and the Protestant Ethic, when he refers to the Jewish people as pariah. Mm. So when you kill in, in Vietnam, you kill gooks and kikes, you give them a name and make them subhuman. It's just like rape has nothing to do with sex. It's debasing a person into an object and thinking that you're doing a favor to the world. Right. Because they took my blood in Auschwitz and I was told I take my blood to aid the German soldier so they can win the war and take over the world. I was told that. I said to myself, you stupid idiot, with my love, with my, excuse me, With my blood you're never gonna win the war so i think humor was extremely important yeah john rivers to grow up and that's why it's important to know there is no freedom without responsibility it's anarchy
0: yeah dr eager you wrote the choice at 2017 and by my math, you were 90. What, what, what was it that, at that age, prompted you to sit down and write a book? Well, many, many years, people told me to
1: write a book. And I would say, automatically, I have nothing to say. Mm. And then Philip Zimbardo, who wrote the foreword, Professor at Stanford where I lectured several times. He told me the survivors who are famous today are all men and mm. they need a female voice. And I am a female voice of Victor yeah. Frankl. But I'm not Victor Frankl because he was an MD already established when I was 16 in Auschwitz. And yet, both of us used the same skills right. to checked out. I closed my eyes and I pretended that the music was Tchaikovsky and mm. I was dancing Romeo and Juliet while he closed his eyes and imagined himself lecturing at the Viennese lecture hall about the psychology mm. of the concentration. Right. People who are raped, they check out. Yeah, I, I like to call myself really an ophthalmologist to see them, that they are still
0: innocent. And, and, and the language that you use that I loved is, you talk about in the book, finding not the new you, but the real you. Exactly.
1: Because we give it up early in life. You know, it's like Shakespeare. You will be, be the responsible one. You will be the funny one. And we give up our true self for a formula that doesn't work in midlife.
0: Yeah. And, and I see my children.
1: They, they, they don't know anymore who are they really. And I say, you are going to now give birth to the you that was meant to
0: be free. Mm. You know, in, in the book, you, you talk about one of your patients. And it was such a powerful story of you asking them to take the hand of their eight-year-old self and take, and guide that eight-year-old self out from the house. Yeah. And the idea that you go back and find the moment when your childhood ended mm-hmm. so that you can guide yourself with, with, with the help of someone like you, guide yourself out of that trapped childhood into a child that can become the real them, was just one of the most powerful things i think i had ever read. Thank you so much. You are a brilliant interviewer
1: because <laughs> uh, because we want to look at the concentration camp that it's in our own mind. Mm. We were not to hate we were born with love. We were born with joy. We were not born to judge anybody. We learn it. We are taught. So now you can do a little roto rotor with me, and we find out what you're holding on to, and what are you ready to let go of? Yeah, that's my definition.
0: Of love the ability to let go. Yeah. I love that. I love that idea. And, you know, I wonder what you think about, you know, there's a lot of new research recently on the transference of trauma and research on grandchildren of Holocaust survivors. What, what's your view on any of that thinking or research? Yeah, there is a tremendous
1: amount in the research I follow it myself what goes from generation to generation. I think you can stop it. But you know, you carry that blood yourself. Mm -hmm. So your ancestors could have done things differently if they knew. So all you have to do with guilt is just to say, because my parents had tickets to go to America, And they decided not to go because they did not know. So if they knew what they know now, they would have done things differently. So you must forgive yourself because you cannot change the past and not to blame anyone and stop blaming and see not why me, but what now.
0: What now? I live in the present. I can and, only touch now. And Dr. Eager, right. there's a beautiful picture I saw of you in a white bathing suit um, yes. doing a split okay. for your boyfriend, My. Eric. Yes. yes. What yes. would you, yes. and there you were uh, uh, training for the Olympics. What would you say to that 16-year-old eating? I would tell her that you're one of a kind diamond.
1: Not really, but I really felt when I was little because my mother told me, I'm glad you have brains because you have no looks. <laughs> I, was, uh-huh. I was cross-eyed. My sisters blindfolded me when they took me for a walk. And today I beg children in school not to allow anybody to define who you are, you're beautiful, you're unique, you're one of a kind.
0: So I'd like to um, uh, close by uh, reading your words. Um, Life, even with its inevitable trauma, pain, grief, Misery and death is a gift. A gift we sabotage when we imprison ourselves in our fears of punishment, failure, abandonment, in our need for approval, in shame and blame, in superiority and inferiority, in our need for power and control. To celebrate the gift of life is to find the gift in everything that happens. Even the parts that are difficult, that we're not sure we can survive, to celebrate life, period, to live with joy, love, and passion. Doctor Eager Kusinem Seipen for sharing. Thank you for that sharing. sharing said, a child of a survivor.
1: I- I am really honoring today my parents with your parents,
0: yeah,
1: we are to be sure that we'll do everything in our power, that your children, grandchildren, and great grandchildren will never experience,
0: yeah, yeah well Dr. Igor, the fact that um you've written this book that you've shared your story. Um, not only directly with your patients, but all the readers of your first book, The Choice, and this book, uh, The Gift. I would, you know, just urge people to read these books to understand that literally anything is possible, that and we are the ones. What you're teaching us is we are the ones that can change our lives, nobody else. And the willingness. Yes. The willingness to revisit the
1: places where you've been and relive that experience and not to get stuck in there.
0: Yeah. um,
1: I think you and I were meant to be here, and we have a calling, and I'm so happy to meet with you. Yeah. And also a role model to you. You have a long time to go. Let's go. The evening.
0: I don't got that many years. <laughs> so Dr. Eager, thank you so much for um for taking the time and you know just listening to you. Um you know I feel like I'm I'm talking to my mother that fo- that voice and that accent. You, your hands are even similar to hers. Who knows maybe Dr. Eager, maybe maybe little Edie and little Ibby had met each other in Auschwitz. You, who knows? Maybe, maybe we have, but I
1: know now they're winking and they say, by God, she's got it.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: Just Remember, by God, she's got it. Yeah. And you got it and I got it in us that we'll do everything in our power to do everything we can to unite and get rid of the us and them mentality.
0: Yeah. Dr. Eager, I, w- I want to wish you good health, that you that you see you, those great-grandson twins thrive. Yes, Listen absolutely.
1: Nagyon szépen köszönöm. Isten Isten Yes.
0: Servus. We've been talking with Edith Eager, the author of The Gift, 12 Lessons to Save Your Life, her new book uh, that's out this year. And her previous best-selling book was The Choice, Embrace the Possible. You've been listening to Just the Right Book with Roxanne Cody, brought to you by Lit Hub Radio. Produced by Roxanne Cody, Michael Selleck, Johnny Diamond, and Lit Hub Radio. Our editor is Justin Alvarez. The original theme music is by Kurt Feldman. You can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Pandora, or wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm Roxanne Cody, and thank you so much for listening.